Okay, welcome everybody to class. It's so good to have you here. So we're chugging right along, okay? We last class started section two of chapter one, okay? So we are, um, that's where we're right in the middle of. My, my goal is maybe to finish to section three, but it's very possible we won't, which is no problem. But that's where, where we're headed. We're still very much in chapter one. We're getting closer, we're getting closer, but um, that is irrelevant. So what did we talk about last class? We talked about, um, is the last thing we left off with is, is tshuva considered a mitzvah or not, right? And why does it really matter? Why do we, like, why does we, do we have to know? And we, we left off saying that the altar of a very much categorizes tshuva as a mitzvah, even though the Rambam does not list it in his 613 mitzvahs, but the Rambam still holds very strongly that tshuva is a mitzvah. And now we're going to kind of like understand why and, and then be able to move on because in order for us, like the Tanya really and the Altarba really believes in knowledge is power, right? And so the more we, because the Altarba could just say, Chuba is a mitzvah, and that's it, right? But the more we understand the reasons and the inner workings and the layering of all this information, the more it enhances our worship. So even though sometimes it feels like, okay, what do I, what do I need to know this? There is a very, very good reason to to build our knowledge even in things that are not necessarily like matter in practicality um and i always say it is kind of practical because if something impacts your service right that's practical so um so why we said we said last class why it makes sense that shuba isn't a mitzvah right Do you remember what we said so we said um hi <laughs> um it's so good to see you so um we said because you cannot force like chuva has to come from you right it has in order for chuva to be authentic it has to be coming from us so, so it's very very counterintuitive or counterproductive to demand a mitzvah is a commandment with hashem says you have to do it right so it's it's very um kind of counterproductive to demand tshuva, right? Because then when you force something, it's not necessarily coming from within you. And the other reason we said was um, tshuva only comes if you sin, right? So it's like, it's like a, a get, a divorce. Like you only get a divorce if you need to. There's only the mitzvah of getting a get if you need to get divorced, but it's not something that you have to do. So same with tshuva, like, okay, Hashem knows that the majority of us are going to sin and we're going to need this process of tshuva, but maybe some of us won't, right? Maybe it's, it's only in connection to doing, to sinning. So how could you count it as one of the mitzvahs if it, if it maybe doesn't apply, right? So those are the reasons why we're like, maybe it shouldn't be considered a mitzvah. So um, when, when we move right along, um, we are also, there's also another point in saying that that's from a more practical perspective, but from a spiritual perspective that each mitzvah connects us to Hashem, 
right? And remember, we learned last time that anytime, like when you do the mitzvah of tefillin, that's tefillin energy, right? And when you do keep kosher, that's kosher energy. And when you do Shabbos, it's Shabbos energy. So each mitzvah has a special, unique connection, right? And we also um, have talked about before in our previous Tani classes, how like we have a rope connected between us and God. And what's the rope? The 613 strands make, the, uh, make up the rope. And when we sin, that strand that's connected to that mitzvah is severed, right? And when we do a, when we do teshuva, which is what we're actually going to talk about the definition of teshuva today, if we get to it, um, that that connection is repaired, right? So each um, each mitzvah, each commandment has a special, unique connection to Hashem, right? Which is severed by sin. And how does tshuva repair the damage? Because Chuva represents the connection that transcends all the particulars, right? It's like each mitzvah has a special a strand, which then um, correlates with a special unique energy, right? Which is what makes it a mitzvah. But Chuva transcends all the like details of the connection. It's beyond that, right? It's what repairs all that connection. So it's very hard to count it as a mitzvah if it's, if it's beyond that, right? It's repairing connection. It's it's not limited by a specific connection, like a, like each mitzvah is limited to its specific connection. Shuvah goes beyond that and encompasses all of it. So how are we able to count this as a mitzvah? So we're just now kind of reinforcing our question and we'll hopefully get to the answer, okay? So Teshuvah, um, if you want to put it in like a sentence, like in a concise thought, teshuva is unbound and unlimited, right? And you can always do teshuva no matter how far you've strayed. Doesn't matter like how far off the beaten path you end up, teshuva is an option for you, right? It transcends limitation. And so it, seems like it would transcend a particular, like a, to be defined by it being a mitzvah, right? A mitzvah is very amazing and, it, and it, it, it provides connection and attachment, but it's defined, right? Each mitzvah has their defined attachment and tshuva goes beyond that. It's not limited by particulars. Does that make sense? You're with me so far? Okay, good. So, um, so if tshuva was indeed a mitzvah, how would it be able to do its job, right? Because tshuva has to transcend the commander-subject relationship so it can provide the opportunity for A, remorse, right? And B, spiritual healing power that is greater than any particular mitzvah. So in order for Chuva to do its job, right, we're saying that it has to be genuine, right? And for it to be genuine, we don't want to live, we can't have it be a commandment, right? And B, it has to be able to transcend the, the particulars of a mitzvah connection, right? So we're, we're again, reiterating and proving and, you know, 
emphasizing the camp tshuva no mitzvah, right? Um, which of course the altar was going to come back and say, nevertheless, the altar of still believes strongly and unequivocally that tshuva is a mitzvah from the Torah. So how now we're going to understand the altar Rebbe's position, because now we understand why it shouldn't be a mitzvah, but the altar is going to come back and say, yes, I agree with all those things. And it's an, and it's an if, and it's not a, but right. Which is what I love about holding two things at once. Right. Um, so we need, so what does the altar Rebbe say that tshuva being a mitzvah is not an alternative position. It's the fact that tshuva transcends mitzvahs is a second phase. Basically, there's two parts to the tshuva process. Okay, so we have the process where tshuva is as a mitzvah, and then we have the process of how tshuva transcends a mitzvah, and it's two phases. So that's what we're going to understand. What is what does this the this process look like, and why? And what is this two-step process and how does it correlate with tshuva being a mitzvah? Okay. Any questions so far? We're with me? Good. Okay. Good. Good. I hope so. Great. Now, now, so we know from before for tshuva to be real, it must be totally autonomous and not coerced, right? It can't be a divine command in any way for it to be real. And it's funny because like, even though I know this as a parent and you know that like, especially as an adult, you know that like, if someone forces you to say, sorry, it's not very authentic, but like, I still find myself as a parent being like, you just hit your, your brother or you just hit your sister, like say, sorry. Right. Like, <laughs> No, that this is like, they don't have, feel any remorse at all, you know, just like, but for some reason, I still feel like it's important for you to like, at least go through the motions and know that you didn't do something right. But really in a perfect world, like telling your kid to say sorry is really pointless. Like in real, in parenting, like if I'm on top of my game, then I would go about it in a different way. I wouldn't say, say sorry. Right. Because that in itself is just a counter, it's, it's a oxymoron, right? Like, hey, sorry, isn't, you're not really sorry. So there's no point. So we know that same thing with God. Like if we sin and God says, say sorry, you know, and we're forced to say sorry and we don't mean it, where is that getting us? Do you think it's going to stop us from doing it the next time? Do you think in 30 seconds, they're not hitting each other again? Because they don't. They didn't really feel bad. They didn't really care, right? So, um, so as a first, Javi, can I yes. ask a question? Yes. But what about like if you if if your kids like, well, I don't want to go. I don't want to get yelled at. I don't want to go to timeout. I don't want to. Well, not not that I do timeouts. Yeah. Um, no, you no know, reason. I don't, don't want to. No yeah. judgment. Judgment free zone. <laughs> um, only time ends here. But um, I don't want like whatever. And it's then if we're like, I don't want to get in trouble. Punishment. Not. Do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. not. You're saying worse, sorry because you don't want the consequences. 
Yeah. Right. So like a kid says, sorry, because if you tell them, say, sorry, you're going into timeout. They're like, okay, whatever. Sorry. You know, like, um, so I think that's the same process with God. Like if we're saying sorry, only because we are scared of punishment and don't want to be punished. Guess what? God knows that. And it's not authentic. So that's what we're going to get to. Like, what is it? Okay. What is the actual mitzvah of tshuva? What does it mean for it to be accepted and authentic? So saying sorry, just because you're scared of the consequences, unfortunately, isn't going to get you anywhere because it's not going to prevent you from doing it again, because you're not remorseful. You don't like, this is what I also try to do with my kids excuse me, with my kids, I tell, I tell my kids all the time. I'm like, if you don't really recognize like where you went wrong and what you did wrong and why, and why it's wrong, you're going to do it again. Right. So that's the same thing. Like if we're just apologizing because we don't want to be punished, like that's not what Chuba is. Right. And that isn't really going to accomplish anything. And chances are, it will not be considered tshuva because God knows what's in your heart. And he knows like, do you really authentically feel remorseful? And actually as a separate piece, remorse is actually not part of the mitzvah of tshuva, which is what we're going to discuss. Do you actually commit in your heart to not doing it again? That's what tshuva is for real. And we'll get there. But that, that like, I don't, I, Basically, it's just another proof that operating out of fear is never going to work, right? I always say this. I'm like, if you constantly go back to what is driving your decision, if you're operating out of fear, and it, and it applies to any area of your life, if you're operating out of fear, you're not getting where you need to get. And same thing with Shuba. If you're just saying sorry out of fear, you're not going to get where you need to get right? Any decision you make out of fear is a red flag. I feel like that's the easiest way to describe it. If, if you can be self-aware and recognize that that decision was made out of fear, it's an automatic red flag. Time to rethink, okay? So, um, so the first phase of tshuva has to transcend the, st the status of a mitzvah to be an act of autonomy. Right. So in order for us to for tshuva to be authentic, it has to transcend the mitzvah because it has to be autonomous. It has to be our choice. And in order for it to be our choice, it has to transcend the status of a mitzvah because it can't be commanded. So the first phase of tshuva must be um, strictly our choice and our decision. Right. And 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 if so, that means that it's and it transcends mitzvah because mitzvah by definition is a commandment. Okay, so the first part of tshuva has, we're not, the altar is putting his stamp of approval on that. The first part of a, the first part of the tshuva process has to be autonomous, which makes it automatically transcend a mitzvah. Okay, but then the Tanya says, um, the reason why Altar was emphasizing that tshuva is also a mitzvah to teach us that there is a second phase to the process. Okay, it doesn't stop there. Just the, uh, the autonomous choice you're making to do tshuva isn't where it ends. That's just where it starts. Okay, and the, what's the second phase? The second phase is tshuva is 
Anessis, um, really, what is chuva about? So it's obviously like a necessary um, rupture or disconnect from the past, right? We're, we're, we're retreating from former lifestyle, right? We're doing something you want to we, we don't want to do like how it was before, but what, what she was really about is it has to be followed by the re-entry to mitzvah observance. It has to be about the future. Okay. So the, um, we give an example of, have you ever heard of uh, Lazar ben Dordaya? He was like the ultimate sinner. Okay, he was like, he did every sin under the book, fully aware of what he was doing on purpose to spite God. Okay, at the end of his life, he did chuba and he repented and he was so remorseful, he ended up dying. Okay, so what are we saying here is that Alazar ben Jodaya only accomplished the first part of the chuba. He never got to re-enter into doing mitzvahs. So the whole second part of the, of the tshuva process, which by the way, it's very interesting, which we're gonna actually get into. So I'll mention it briefly, but tshuva is about the future. It's about the return. So many times we focus on tshuva being about our remorse, but that's not the mitzvah of tshuva. That's part of a tshuva process, but the mitzvah of tshuva, you do tshuva if you decide to behave differently or authentically. That's tshuva. And, and, and it's in the name because tshuva means return, right? It's what we're doing in the future. It's not about the past. And we're going to get to that even more. So, Javi, can I really quickly share one little yes, thing? Yes, yes, yes. Um, that so I'm a psychologist and work with teens and we talk about like when you do something that um hurts somebody else but instead of an apology that we call it something like a repair like making yes. a repair we said there are two different parts of a repair a acknowledging that your behavior had an impact on that other person or like on the relationship um so like acknowledging that like when you sinned right like it impacts relationship with Hashem and then the other part is like what are you going to do to not do it in the future. So like what, what steps are you going to take? Um, but it's like future oriented, but as you talk, I'm like, that's like the two things that we, we always talk about. So like, hundred cool. percent. I mean, and that's what it is. And, and another reason why I think learning about Shuva is so powerful is because it's really reframing. It's like, this is not about beating ourselves up and being ashamed, ashamed about who we are and being remorseful. Shuva is about future about what decisions am I making in the future? Now, there are steps to the tshuva process that include remorse, but that's not what tshuva is. If you just do, if you're just remorseful and are not future oriented, you actually don't do the mitzvah of tshuva. Isn't that fascinating? Like if you're just sorry and you feel bad about what you did and that's where it ends, that's not tshuva. That's just feeling bad. Shuva is return is how are you re-entering into this connection with God, right? What are the decisions you're making to repair that relationship? Future oriented, okay? So the mitzvah of tshuva, 
So we want to be really, really exact. And it's very important to be exact about mitzvahs. Why? Because this is a really big problem that we have. When we add steps and parts to a mitzvah and it becomes overwhelming, people say, forget it. I'm not doing it at all. And you lose what the essence of the mitzvah is, right? We know this from keeping Shabbos. We know this from very much so in family purity, right? Like if you, if somebody teaches family purity in a way that they portray all the hashkafa, all the feelings about it as halacha, it turns a lot of people off because they're like, I can never do that. And they end up not doing the halacha. So it's very, very important to always know what is the actual mitzvah. Not to say that the other things aren't important and we need to learn about them and incorporate them, but it's important to know what is the halachic mitzvah here because A, we wanna, we wanna make sure we're doing the part that's the halacha and B, we wanna make sure that we're not turning people off by adding a whole bunch of stuff that makes it undoable for people. Okay, so that's very important. So if we want to know exactly what the mitzvah of tshuva is, it's just the decision to stop sinning. The decision to stop sinning is the mitzvah of tshuva. Now, we're going to explain what that means further. It has additional meaning to it, but it is not remorse. Okay, it's not regret right? It is, if I'm making this decision present right now to stop sinning, which will include inc this mitzvah of stopping to sin will include some future things. We'll just get there in a minute. Then that is the mitzvah of tshuva. It's powerful, right? Because it pairs it down. It's not a whole bunch of steps, right? We have to make the decision autonomously to do teshuva, right? We have to do it from an authentic place where we really, really want to do it and we're not being forced to do it. Once we make, the, that's not part of the mitzvah though, that's just the precursor to doing the mitzvah, right? Once we make that autonomous decision, which transcends mitzvah, right? Because it has to be coming from us. Then the actual act of teshuva is stopping to sin. Okay, it's a lot less scary than it's made out to be, right? I mean, when you hear that, it's like, okay, like I can do this, right? We all feel a desire to stop a bad behavior. We all feel that, we know, we all authentically feel that. doesn't mean it is everlasting, but we all can identify and relate to a time where we were like, I'm not doing that anymore, right? I felt that way before about many things. It's like, you know what? I Full stop. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm I have to make a change, right? So that's what tshuva is. Decision to stop what you were doing that was questionable, not okay, inappropriate, harmful, okay? So, um, so yeah, it, it, so it could be surprising. Like, the emphasis of the mitzvah of tshuva being just to stop sinning is surprising because it does seem to exclude other activities which 
are usually presented as part of the chuva process, right? Such as remorse and confession and asking God for forgiveness. Those three things, um, they're chuva related, okay? But they're not the actual mitzvah of chuva. So confession, remorse, and asking God for forgiveness is chuva related. It's important. Like we're, we're encouraged to do that, but the mitzvah of tshuva is exclusively stopping to sin, right? Um, so, so the altar was saying like, I don't want you to think that these are not tshuva related activities, right? And that they're not important, but they're not the essence of tshuva. The essence of tshuva is stopping to sin and nothing more. If you do that, if you stop sinning with and you don't and you don't really go down the remorseful path and you don't path and you don't really go down the confession path, right? You still did tshuva from the Torah. Now, Bobby, um, what about fasting? Okay, so fasting, um, you're gonna hold that thought because in section three. We are going to, the section three is called the role of fasting and suffering. Okay. So we're going to get there, but probably not today. But it is a very good question because we know that fasting is associated a lot with tshuva, especially in previous generations. Not so much today, but it, 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 it is very much connected to tshuva and we're going to address it in, in section three. So whether that's next class or the class after or whatever, I don't know. Um, yes. Harry. So when you say, um, when you, you've made the decision to stop sinning, you stop sinning as in the negative, the transgressions or the positive both commandments, both. both, right? So either it's a very good point. Thank you for bringing it up. So if we were transgressing the, the, the act of stopping to sin will be we're stopping to transgress, right? And if we're regretful because we didn't do something, right? We didn't light Shabbos candles or we didn't, you know, keep kosher or we didn't whatever, then your act is to do them, right? I'm going to stop not doing it. I'm going to do it. So you do, mitzvah, you, do, you do the mitzvah, you do the mitzvah of tshuva, and then down the line, you sin again. You do it again. Well, that's that's what's so special about God. Because God doesn't get tired of us saying sorry over and over again. Like if you um, are in a relationship with a spouse or a, or a sibling parent or, uh, I mean, a parent-child or a sibling, then if, you, if one of those people in your relationship keeps doing the same thing over and over again, it's kind of like, I don't believe you anymore. Like this is enough. The difference with God is that as long as it in that moment, it's coming from an authentic place. And in that moment, you can't imagine sinning again. It's accepted. And God knows, right? God knows if in that moment you were authentic. Your, your intention. He knows your intention. Exactly. As humans, we can't know the other person's intention. So we get tired and we get frustrated if 
the, the, this person keeps doing the same thing over and over again and we lose tolerance and we're like, why should I believe you? You keep doing it over and over again. Even if their intention was true, we as humans don't, we don't get to know that because we can't know really what's going on inside of them. So we get exhausted and we get fed up. God, on the other hand, is infinite and he has an infinite love for us. And so as long as our chuba is authentic, we can do it a million times over. God will accept it. If it's inauthentic or if, like Esther said, it's coming from a place of fear, I'm just saying sorry because I'm scared of the punishment, then your chuba isn't accepted at all, right? You have to, it will only be accepted once you can really tap in to your authenticity and to really making some change. So that's the beauty of God is that we can, he will take the sorry from us a hundred times, as long as it's coming from an, an, an authentic place and our intentions are good. How cool is that? Beautiful. It's really, I mean, it's, it's thank God, right? <laughs> Cause then I, I mean, I would be in trouble. If not, I've done the same thing over and over again a, a thousand times right like I'm not gonna do it anymore um but but that's what the that's where we draw so many correlations um from human relationships and we apply them to God because that's our our only point of reference but that's when we have to recognize well that's a human relationship and God is above that and is so much more forgiving and so much more patient than a human would ever be. Okay, so um, so what does the role of remorse, confession, and asking forgiveness, what role does it play in the chuba process, right? Um, and why are they not part of the essence of chuba, right? You think that it would make sense that all these processes are part of the essence of chuba. Like why only that one thing is the essence of chuba? You think like this four-step process really all needs to be there for it to be an authentic process. So why is it not? Because the mitzvah of chuba from the Torah is forward thinking, right? Just it's just about the future. So the decision to stop sinning impacts the future, and that's what Shuba is about, right? Remorse, confession, and requesting forgiveness all relate to the past. Right? You are remorseful about what you did earlier, you confess to God about it, right? And then you pray that He's going to atone you and cleanse your soul from it happen from your blemish that you created on your soul, right? That's all behavior that's focused on the past. If we want to talk about the essence of Yiddishkeit, the essence of Judaism, it's always forward thinking. We don't spend a lot of time dwelling on the past. And I feel when I was learning this, like that, I mean, it is such a powerful thing. Like even in Teshuvah, even when we are repairing something that we did wrong, what's the essence of it? Future. Don't dwell on the past. Don't get stuck in your shame. Don't get stuck in you're not good enough. Look to the future. What are you committing yourself to do for the future? And I don't think 
There's many religions or many movements that can say that, that even when you're repairing a wrongdoing, that we're not focused on the past, we're not, we are still forward thinking, like positive forward thinking, even in the mitzvah of tshuva. So to, to bring home that point, the Torah is like the essence of tshuva is about the future. Yes, remorse and confession and for, and asking for forgiveness are important and the Torah talks about it and we, we do it, right? We're not saying these things aren't important and they don't matter and we just we just forget about them. What we're saying is that if you want to get down to the essence of tshuva, it's about the future. In order to fulfill the mitzvah of tshuva, you could do remorse, you can confess, and you can ask for forgiveness. But if the piece that's missing is your is your commitment to the future, then you didn't do tshuva, right? So, um, so this is further proof that atonement, right, is not set the central um, focus of the tshuva, right? And it's not a guaranteed outcome, right? What's atonement? Atonement is God's part to this, right? It's when God forgives you, that's called atonement. And what we're saying here is that it actually, atonement isn't the focus at all in Shuba. Your job is to think about how you're going to do things differently in the future. Whether God forgives you or not, none of your business, right? That's not on you, right? That's on God. You don't have control over that. And that's kind of um, where... Um, where we compare it to praying, right? You can pray to God, right? And ask him for all the things you want and need. It doesn't mean he's gonna say yes, right? But praying is still a mitzvah, right? Praying and praising and asking God for what you need is still a mitzvah, whether or not he says yes or not. So same thing, tshuva, returning to God is a mitzvah, whether or not he forgives you or not, it, it's not relevant to the actual fulfillment of the mitzvah. The atonement doesn't impact whether you did the mitzvah or not. If you did, huh? But it's not a mitzvah. It is a mitzvah. Remember we said the second phase is a mitzvah. Oh, the second phase. Yeah. The first phase of tshuva is, is deciding autonomously to do tshuva. That's above a mitzvah. The second phase of tshuva, which is, is stopping to sin, the altar rebbe holds that that's a mitzvah. Okay, so what we're saying here even more so is that atonement, whether we're forgiven or not, is irrelevant to whether we've done the mitzvah or not. It's not like we did the mitzvah only once we're forgiven. Forgiven is God's job, right? That's his department. We do the mitzvah as soon as we stop to sin and make a decision to stop to sin. That's where we do the mitzvah. The next steps of forgiveness and the process we go for our atonement is not the tshuva mitzvah process. It's an additional process of like, we want to be forgiven and we want to, right? So we, we put effort into that, but that's not a make it or break it for the mitzvah. So you, basically what we're saying is that you can do tshuva, you can stop to sin and make a conscious decision to stop to sin and God has not forgiven you, but you still did the mitzvah, right? Just like we can pray, and ask for our needs, and our needs aren't met, we still fulfill the mitzvah of praying. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, yes, Esther. How do we know if our needs are met or not? How do we know whether God forgave us or not? We don't. That's the point. Okay. So doesn't matter. We don't. We don't. So we, so our needs are met by God. Sometimes we just don't know. We're asking for the wrong thing or we don't recognize that though that's what we need. What we're saying is that sometimes we pray for something specific that we want and God says no. Right. So we're not getting what we want, but it doesn't mean our needs aren't met. Say, you know, and Teshuva, like we can stop to sin and change our habits in the future. And God doesn't necessarily, hasn't necessarily forgiven you yet, but you still did your part and you still did your mitzvah and the rest is up to God. It's like, it's a little bit different because it's a human example, but it's like, you can, if you're apologizing authentically to someone and you're saying sorry from, from an authentic, pure place and they don't forgive you, you can't do anything about that, right? Forgiveness is on the recipient's to-do list. They have to forgive you. Doesn't mean it takes away from the fact that you did what you were supposed to do, right? Do you have a question, Esther? Yeah, sorry, but my dogs are being really annoying. So sorry. Oh, I can relate. I can relate. <laughs> so nice. They're like fighting over a bone right under the desk that I'm sitting at. It's really annoying. Um, 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 okay. Now my husband's like marching in to get them. I cannot finish. <laughs> no, that's okay. You just, just ignore them. They're distracting me. Um, but I thought, did you say that that we're always forgiven like Hashem like Hashem always forgives us Hashem will always listen to us oh Hashem will oh and we can always in the midst of tshuva and Hashem will eventually forgive us if we go through the proper it's like you know like how we spoke about last time like atonement you know for different sins has a different process and a different length and but the the opportunity for forgiveness is always there right 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 it's always you can it's always, always God will always like hear your sorry. And, and if it's authentic, chances are you are, he's going to forgive you. God's not right. looking to stump you, right? He's not looking right. to say like, put you through the hoops. If you do the right thing and you're authentic about your chuva, chances are you're going to be forgiven. Right. And then obviously like, I'm, you know, I'm sh- thinking about all the things in my own life, but and what about things that you like are mitzvahs that you don't do? So it's not, like, I know we talked about this before, but can you remind me? Because I, yeah, forgot. so that's kind of what um, Carrie asked before. Like, if yeah, we're, yeah. if we're um, <laughs> repenting or trying to change the fact that we didn't do one of the positive commandments. So for example, I'm just going to say Shabbos candles, because it's the easiest one for me. Let's say we didn't light Shabbos candles, right? And then we um, have this thought and we have this inclination to fix that. And we say, Hashem, from now on, I'm going to light Shabbos candles, right? That's your repair. That's your tshuva process. And from then on, you light Shabbos candles. Now, if again, you fall off the wagon and you slip up and you don't light Shabbos candles, you go through that process again. But in that moment, you are committing to doing the thing that you didn't do. Does that make sense? 
Okay. So um, let me just make sure I didn't miss any important points before we move on. Quick question. Yes. What if you know that you are not going to light Shabbat candles in, in a month or in a couple of weeks or that there's a, there's one night where you can't light candles, just say. Where, I just had this conversation with that? my daughter and I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you what my thoughts are and I will research halacha. But okay, I, I think that do not, if you know that you can't commit to doing this for forever, then don't, right? But it doesn't mean that every time you do the mitzvah, it has its own singular value, right? It doesn't mean you shouldn't ever do it because you can't do it for forever. You do it as much as you can. No, I mean, the, if you're one time, I mean, if you, if you know that there's one time that you're not going to be able to do like candles, let's say. So, I mean, I has, I mean, I'm curious about that. Like, there's no way around it. Like, right. How do you I mean, there's no way to like, light earlier, you know, there's right. different ways to be in hospitals, can't. you can light I, with an electric light, like there's ways to get around it. Well, right? so if you know so far in advance that you can't do it, chances are you probably could find a way to like, do it. Or I would ask your rabbi and say, this is a position that I'm going to be in. What do I do? If I can't light Shabbos candles, there is like, if you are like thinking about it and knowing about it, there is maybe, maybe it's so impossible that you're not obliged to do it. Right. There are certain times where you're not, if you can't do it, maybe Hashem you're going to be plane, on a plane. Can't do it. Maybe you're going to be on a plane and you don't get, you don't get to the destination at a certain, at, at the right time. But if you're consciously Shabbos. going on a plane that's flying after Shabbos starts, there's a whole lot of other problems besides lighting Shabbos candles. Not after Shabbos starts, if you go on a plane before Shabbos starts. Right, but if you're still flying once Shabbos comes in, that's an issue, right? According to Shabbos observance. So it's not really only about lighting Shabbos candles, you have you need to try to avoid that situation. If you're a Shabbos observant, then knowing that you're going to be on a flight that's past Shabbos candle lighting time is a no-no, right? right? If you're so, not Shabbos observant and you are the only, the, the, the thing that you do is light Shabbos candles, even though you're not Shabbos observant, then you find out maybe you can take, there's these electric candles that you can turn like in hospitals, if they don't allow you to, let's say you had a baby on Friday and they don't allow you to light fire in the hospital, you can do electric candles. Those, those have value for certain situations. Do you get what I'm saying? But this is a good example that starts making you think about if you can think about this so far in advance, like you can think about, okay, well, why can't I light, light Shabbos candles? And then you're all other host of problems come If up. you're in a situation where you just, there's no other way around it. But even, unless so when, you don't if you're in a situation by surprise that there's no other way around it, that's one thing. But if you are already knowing that you're going to be in a situation where there's no other way around it, then I challenge right. you to be like, well, maybe you shouldn't be in that situation. Uh, really? Yeah. What if your daughter's getting married? 
So get a, get a go to fly a day earlier. And what if you can't? Okay. So that's, so that's a personal, you know, issue that you would talk about and work on with your mentor, right? If you are in a situation that you have a family, very, you know, non-negotiable obligation and desire to be there, and you have your Torah values and your mitzvah observance, you need to talk to your mentor and figure out how to reconcile these two things. I don't, I struggle to believe that those are mutually exclusive. I think that if, if you have enough forethought and time and you have the right people guiding you, there's a way to make that happen. That doesn't encroach on your values and doesn't um, encroach on your familial obligations and, and commitments and wants, right? We want, of course you want to be by your daughter's wedding and you should be there. Absolutely not. So how is it that I feel like this, I, I'm not that person maybe, but I feel like there is a way to, to reconcile these two parts of your life. Maybe with a lot of effort, maybe with some compromises, right? Because that does happen. We do have to make compromises on either end. And maybe there's a mentor that can say, you know, in this situation, Shabbos observance comes secondary. I, I do think that there are times that that, that happens. I don't, I'm not the person that can say that. A rabbi could say that, hearing all the details and the pertinent details to your story. But if what my point is that if you know enough in advance that one particular thing is going to be an issue, opens up the opportunity to be like, well, how do I not be in this position? How? Can what if I you've already done all that? So then you're. What is it? About? This is a discussion of. Then you return. Then you just show up. Right. Then this is a this is a, a moot point. Then this happens. Already then you know exactly what to do, right? You say, I'm not gonna do that again, if, if it's authentic for you, and I'm gonna light Shabbos candles every week, or I have remorse, and I, this is how I'm changing my future behavior, right? We've all done things that, of course, so then if you've done it already, right? We've And we've all done things that need shuva, then you know exactly what to do. No, I'm not saying if 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 I've if I have done that thing, I'm just saying if I have done everything that you already said that I oh, should try to okay. do. Okay, and then there's no solution. Right. Okay, I don't have the answers. Right. I don't have all the particulars of the story. Right. Like I, I don't know. Like, but if you know you're that you're in a you're position that the you're one very, time. very very stuck, then. First of all, I have a lot of empathy for that because that is such a hard position to be in when your values, your family values and your religious values clash. It, there's nothing more harder than that. And I really, really, really have empathy for that. Very much, very much so. And I don't necessarily have the answers to your way out um, because I I don't know, you know, all the details and I don't know if I have the 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 authority, right? Or the where or the know of how to get you out of that position. But um, I, I just give you the strength to, to make it through this challenge and be able to figure out and make the best possible choice with, with the tools that you have, right? 
And I tell this to my kids all the time. We're like, you, you know, when parenting, like you should have done this and you should have done that. And you made the wrong decision. You shouldn't have sent me to camp and you shouldn't, right? This happens to me all the time. And I'm like, listen, I made the best choice I had with the information that I had. Maybe it wasn't the right choice for you. I, I'm sorry. I can recognize that, but I did my best, right? And I think the same thing is for you, right? You're going to do your best with the choices you have and the information you have. And you're going to make the best choice you can. And God's going to know that and he's going to see that. My question to you was simply that when that thing happens, can you do tshuva after that? Yes. Yes. Even if you know that that's going to happen. If we did, if if we're only talking about tshuva of inadvertent sins, then this is not a discussion. Tshuva is for something that you did, knowing that this was wrong, right? Knowing that you know, this isn't the best choice and we did it anyway. And then we have to shuba. Now okay. where it gets tricky is that you cannot do something. And I don't know how this applies to your story, but you cannot do something. You cannot say, I'm not going to light Shabbos candles because I know that I can do chuba for it later. That's not going to necessarily work. No, right? of course, of course. Right? No. You can't say, well, I'll get off the hook because I know I can always repent later. So I'm going to do this thing because I need to do it. And I, and I just want to do it, whatever. And then later I'll repent for it. That doesn't work. But what does work is, is if you're put in a position where you feel like you have no choice, right. And you do what you do. And later when the time is right and you feel authentic about it, then you start your chuva process. But there's absolutely um, a way to come to, to do chuva for something like that. Okay. Does that make sense? Thank you. Yes. Okay. Um, so where were we? Okay. So to summarize this little section that we just are wrapping up, if it is a mitzvah to do teshuva, the mitzvah to do teshuva is to stop sinning. Stop sinning regardless of whether God subsequently forgives you or not, right? Or grants you atonement. Chuva is your obligation. Atonement is God's business. Okay? Um, and then the Tanya goes on to bring a few quotes and proofs that the mitzvah of chuva is proving that the mitzvah of chuva is a decision to stop sinning. We don't have to go through all those quotes, but that in case you were wanting to go back into the Tanya and you needed proof, there is proof, okay? Um, now I'm making a choice here, whether to continue um, <laughs> or, okay, I think we have time for one more point and then we're gonna, we're gonna stop for meditation. Um, we're not going to probably make it all the way to section three, but that's okay. You don't need to. Now, um, the, the Tanya brings in, the Talmud actually brings an example of, of one proof that we are going to talk about one proof that helps us understand that Chuba is about the future, not about the past. Okay. So the Talmud says the following the following are disqualified to be witnesses. One who gambles with dice, um, when their repentance is accepted, is once they destroy their dice. 
Okay, so what are we saying here? When um, someone who's guilty of gambling, it's giving an example of a, of a sin. Gambling is not um, permitted by Torah law. Um, so someone who gambles, which means they're an advert, like they're an obvious sinner, okay? Just, we don't like, just don't worry about the term We're but we're using the term sinner. Um, and he's therefore, you can't, he's an unacceptable witness in court, okay? He can't be a witness in court if he's a gambler. Now, um, if he repents for the sin, right? He can then be a witness, okay? So the question is, how do we know because if he's doing, if he's a witness, we have to know that he's repented, right? That he's did teshuva. How do we know? So the proof of a gambler doing teshuva is if he destroys his dice. Why? Because that means that he's committed in the future not to gamble anymore. He doesn't mean down the line he's not going to go out and buy new dice, right? We're not, you know, we're not saying that that is never going to happen. But the message that the gambler is giving when he destroys his dice is giving is saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm changing my ways. I'm destroying the means to my to my sin. And that's when you know that he did Shuba. Right. And I find that that's just such a great example. Right. Like, how do we know? Right. When some like it's just another proof that the most important part of Shuba is the future oriented action. Because he can say, what? So think of the flip side. Let's say there's a gambler and he says, I repented and I'm not going to do this again, but he doesn't destroy his dice. It's not, oh, you're not overly confident that he's not going to do it again. First of all, he has his vice right in front of him, right? What are the chances he's going to be able to withstand that? And by not destroying it means that he's not sure, right? He's not sure that he's like, he doesn't want to give it up completely. Right, so it's it's words without backing it up. So by the by the gambler destroying his dice, he's backing up his words by saying, "I'm changing my behavior. I'm not going to do this again in the future." And that is what makes him eligible to become a witness again. Okay. Now, um, I think we'll stop here. What we're going to talk about next class is the Tanya is going to tell us in more detail what the decision to stop sinning actually entails. We know, we know that the essence of tshuva is the decision to stop sinning, okay? But obviously nothing is super simple, right? There's layers to that. And Atanya, next class, we're gonna learn what does it actually mean to stop sinning? What is the process? What are the steps? And how do we know for real that you're authentic in your decision to stop sinning? And that's where we're gonna pick up next class. Good? Okay, so let me mark my, my book. What's the date? The 20th, right? Is it February 20th? That's crazy. You know how like it's no like January goes by like so slow? Like January feels like three months and then like February feels like a week, you know? <laughs> January felt so, didn't January feel so long? Did it feel, it felt like forever. Um, okay, any questions before meditation? And I, you guys, you have to remind me, we didn't start with our grounding. <laughs> I keep forgetting. This is the second week in a row. I'm going to have chuba.
I'm going <laughs> um, to commit to trying to do it in the future. Okay. But we have more class when we, not, when we don't do the ground. I know, but even if it's like 30 seconds just to like get us in the zone. Um, but it's true. We do, we do need more time to learn. This is okay. not a question. It's yeah. just like a two second story, but yes. um, my son has ADHD and <laughs> impulse, whatever. And lots of times, like it, especially in the morning, like the same behavior was happening over and over and over again. Then he would feel really bad and he'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then one day I like totally lost it. And I was like, sorry, it's just a word. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything if you don't change, whatever. But then now anytime his sister bothers him and then says, sorry, he's like, it's just a word. <laughs> I'm like, not. Okay, it's always fun mind. when your words come back I know. to you. Oh my God. It happens to me all the time. I'm like, you are not supposed to use that against me. I know. I'm like, she's being nice to you. Can you just said like, just can you just it? accept the apology? Come on. Yeah. So crazy. <laughs> it's a great story. Um, <laughs> it's called hashtag real life. It's a mess. I don't know about yours, but my real life is a mess. Um, okay. Take a deep breath. You can like, just like wiggle around, feel, get, feel your body, get grounded. Um, we'll do it again. It's already 829. So we'll try to do it quick. Um, when you're ready, you can gently close your eyes. Um, take a deep breath. When you're taking a deep breath, try to have the intention of opening up your chest, opening your heart center, receiving, like being open to receive. And when you exhale, even with like your, maybe your lips slightly parted, lean into your exhale, like feel your body, like release and sigh and feel grounded and it should feel calming. Your exhale should feel calming and grounding. Okay. So inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. Three more times on your own, whatever pace you feel comfortable with. Let your breath go and let it just go back to its normal rhythm and just pay attention to what your body feels like. Do you, are, are you holding any tension? Is anything bothering you? Um, no wrong or right. If you're just feeling really good, just observe, be curious about where you're, where you are right now in your body and your mind. Just kind of be aware, right? So much of before we can affect any change, we have to be aware of where we are right now.
Now I'm gonna just share with you some, some little phrases from what we learned today, some things to mull over and think about. As I'm reading them to you, just observe like, you know, how are you accepting it? How are you feeling about it? Is your body sending you any messages? Again, no right or wrong. So chuva is a necessary rupture from the past, a retreat from one's former lifestyle, but it must be followed by a re-entry re into normative observance. So we're stopping, we're stopping something that we've done in the past, but really what the mitzvah of chuva is, is about the future. The mitzvah of chuva from the Torah is looking forward. It is just the decision to stop sinning in the future. Full stop. Remorse, confession, and requesting forgiveness all relate to the past. So those are related to the chuva process, but are not the essence of the mitzvah. Okay. And that's the things, the, some of the things I want you to think about, right? How forward thinking the Torah is, even when we're returning from a past rupture, the mitzvah of the, of the, of the return is about the future. And I just think that that's very powerful. That's very um, encouraging and positive that we don't need to dwell and be stuck in the past for us to be able to move forward. And we'll bring your attention back to your breath. We'll do another three rounds of some deep breathing. Inhale. Exhale. Inhale. Exhale. Inhale. Exhale. On your last exhale, you can even attempt a little breath hold for a couple seconds. Release, let it all go. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. No rush, take your time. I'm gonna stop the recording.